0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. Sometimes we come out of the dailiness and ordinariness of our lives. And sometimes we come, as this morning, out of a week which has shaken us all to our core. We should have been shaken before, that's true. But most of us who weren't shaken before are shaken now. And in order to move forward fruitfully, we need to be together. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we
1: gather to seek, to find, and to share. The opening words are by Richard S. Gilbert. We bid you welcome who come with weary spirit, seeking rest who come with troubles that are too much with you, who come hurt and afraid. We bid you welcome who come with hope in your heart, who come with anticipation in your step, who come proud and joyous. We bid you welcome who are seekers of a new faith, who come to probe and explore, who come to learn. We bid you welcome who enter this hall as a homecoming, who have found here room for your spirit, who find in this people a family. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey, we bid you welcome.
0: We have people in our congregation with roots and with practices from all the major world religions including neo-paganism, staunch atheism, secular humanism. What holds us together? How do we sit in the same room Sunday after Sunday? One of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission. We wrote it on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
1: This reading is by Richard M. Fuchs. We lift up our heart in thanks for the sun and the dawn, which we did not create, for the moon and the evening, which we did not make, for food which we plant but cannot grow, for friends and loved ones we have not earned and cannot buy, For this gathered company which welcomes us as we are from wherever we have come. For all our free churches that keep us human and encourage us in our quest for beauty, truth, and love. For all things which come to us as gifts from sources beyond ourselves. Gifts of life and love and friendship. We lift up our hearts in thanks this day.
0: This is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together, following our breath with our attention, seeking that place of stillness that the world's religions tell us is the place where we go to find God as we understand God, to find the wisdom that is inside each one of us, or just to find the stillness that can bring clarity and courage. Let us enter the wise silence together. I'm going to talk about family life as a spiritual path this morning. First, I want to talk about what a spiritual path is, in my opinion. A spiritual path is something that makes you more spiritual. So, um, to me, being spiritual is being kind and curious, respectful, loving, sturdy, calm, uh, knowing when to speak and when to be quiet. Knowing when to do something and when not to do something. Opening yourself to being a good companion to other humans and other beings. Being open to having an authentic, transformative connection with each other. To me, that's what it is. And so that's where a spiritual path should take you. And if you have stuff you do that takes you away from all those things, that's like the opposite of a spiritual path. Okay? So, um Thanksgiving and Christmas are here. And so we are with family that we are not with all the time. And what I want to talk to you about is your family all during the year, family. Whether it's chosen family or biological family or whether it's a mixture of both, whether you're adopted, fostered uh, with your birth family, with parents, with friends, and this also, this information will probably be useful for uh, church committees and workplaces too, because they're all, they all turn into families of one kind or another, whether in a shallow or a deep way. And most of you know I was a family therapist for 15 years, and so I like to tell you the stuff that I couldn't say as a therapist, because I had to just go, hmm, <laughs> for 15 years. have a lot of stuff built up in here (laughs) so your family might be like this family in South Carolina that I knew where uh, my friend came to coffee and said uh, well my brother Doran and my my uncle Bill got into it again at Thanksgiving they always do And uh, this time it got real bad, and my brother just pulled out his gun. Then Uncle Doran pulled out his gun. She said there was 26 of us in that room, 23 people had their guns out. So that's one kind of family Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Different families have different cultures, you know. And so every partnership and every marriage is a cross-cultural partnership and marriage. And whenever you're with family, you have many cultures existing in the same room together, different languages. I'm not just talking uh, national languages. I'm talking family languages. Like, there was one family I knew where the mother controlled everything with sighing. She walked past the dining room table, and she would go, (sighs) and one of her daughters would get up and wipe off the table and set it. It's magic. You might be like my family. I've told you about my family at Thanksgiving many times. Um, where, you know, at one of the family Thanksgivings, I, uh, Kaya and I came in the room bearing our food. And um, there, when my family gets together for Thanksgiving, there are 81 people there. And so, um, in the Carolinas. So we come, you know, and there, there are knives all over every available surface because my uncle Lindsay has just come back from Pakistan, and he's collected Gurkha weapons and um, put them all over the place. And uh, the children are chasing each other with uh, swords, which, you know, everybody in the family is either a minister, a doctor, or a lawyer, so it's going to be all right. (laughs) And they chase each other out of the backyard, so I look out the window, and... um, there's a Brahma bull out there being led around by a cowgirl in a blue, sparkly outfit. And um, I could tell she was a cowgirl because she had a cow out, cowgirl outfit on with fringe, and she had a big cow. <laughs> anyway, bull. I know there's a difference. I'm from the suburbs, but it's not that bad. So we all had a ride on the bull. Um because that's what it was there for. And he was very peaceful looking, praying for world peace while he uh, gently walked everybody around the yard. And then after dinner, we lined up for flu shots in the back hall. (laughs) Because that is the way of our people. (laughs) And it's only in telling about my family to other people that I realize that that's funny. So um, when you come into a family uh, by marriage or by moving in together or however you come in, um, you bring your family's culture, you're bringing a lot of elements into this family nest. You bring your family's culture, the family you grew up in, which every family's culture uh, tells the story that it's the right way to do things, yes? And so your family's way of doing money... uh, doing personal safety, doing personal space, doing decibel levels in the house, doing how to rear children, all of that is the way that it's supposed to be. And if your family is a talky, noisy family where raising your voice just means you're interested in the topic, and you get with somebody whose family was very quiet and reserved, then every time you raise your voice, they think your head is about to explode, that it's an emergency, but you're just signaling interest. They say you have to learn a lot about each other because you have to learn your different families' cultures. Um, And the hot button issues always are money, how to earn it, how to save it, uh, how to spend it. What do you spend it on? How much of it do you save? What constitutes an emergency? Um, Also, the rearing of children, how much attention they should get, how much and what kind of discipline they should get, uh, when they should be walking, reading, etc. Uh, should they have TV? Should you spank? Should you not spank? Should you give timeouts? Uh, it's important to kind of be on the same page about these things. You have, you have discussions about these things. Uh, also, how to relate to extended family is another hot-button issue. Is it weird to call your mom every day after you're married? Is it weird to call her once a, a week? Is it... Is it weird to drop everything and go over to your grandmother's house to mow her yard if she says she needs it right then? Um, What is enough? What is too much? Anyway, so you have all of these family culture things that you bring. And then you also bring who you are into your family for the day-to-dayness of it. And the day-to-dayness is really what makes it uh, a good crucible for your spiritual path because... Day-to-day with the same people year after year means you have to really work some stuff out or realize that you can't work it out and uh, move away. You you come face-to-face with parts of yourself that might not be so pretty because in every partnership there's this initial attraction and wow and you feel kind of, you know it's not true that the other person can fix you, but you kind of feel like it might be kind of possible. And then, after a certain number of years, you come to this impasse where they need something you can't really uh, respect, give, or understand, um, one one or the other. And they need something you can't, you need something they can't, um, there's an impasse. And so you have to kind of work on yourself, which is not really fun. It's way more fun to work on the other person. And Lord knows we try. And uh, so in this dailiness, and then also in the more intense familiness of holidays, we bring who we are. Um, I'm going to talk about personality types just very briefly and with a broad brush. Um, normally, I'll give like a week-long seminar on this, so try not to do that today. Um, you, you have people who are wired differently. You have people who are wired to be conservative, and you have people who are wired to be liberal. And I know you remember everything I said in the sermon on this at the end of October, but um, what they are finding out is that people are actually biologically liberal or conservative, usually. And um, so that's that. Then you have people who are wired to be introverted or extroverted, and they almost always get together and drive each other crazy. And so what I'm trying to say with this whole sermon and what the end of the spiritual path is, is just to love what is, to love the person the way they are and realize both of you all are needed. Because extroverts, for example, they will do everything out loud. They do everything out loud. Um, And by they, I mean we. They... um, (laughs) They'll look for a piece of paper out loud. They'll go, where is that paper? It was right here on my desk. It was not under here because I just lifted it up. And it's not under there. And this looks like it, but it's not it because it's something else. And (laughs) and the introverts are just grinding their teeth at this point. Because what introverts like to do is think about what they want to say before they say it. They like to get their ducks in a row. They don't like you to buttonhole them in the hall and say, "Say, what do you think about the situation in Sudan? What do you think about the Syria? What should we do?" That feels like an ambush to an introvert. Now, an extrovert, on the other hand, doesn't know what they think until it comes out of their mouth. <laughs> so they think by talking. So you can buttonhole them in the hall, even if you wrote them an email that said, we are going to meet in the hall at 3 o'clock and talk about the refugee situation, get your thoughts in order, they will not have started thinking about it until you are in the hall at 3 o'clock. So you could just skip the email and buttonhole them and say, hey, what about that situation? And they'll just go, well, I don't know, it could be this, could be that, we could do this, we could do that, and they're thinking out loud. Okay, so when they're in partnership, the extrovert starts thinking out loud I think we might need to buy a new house. I'm thinking maybe we could look over here, maybe we could look over there, I think we might need this. And the introvert is just horrified (laughs) because they think that this is the end product of a lot of thought (laughs) and research. Like it would be if they had said, I think we need to buy a new house. So the extroverts, it's important for them to realize that they have to always say, I'm just thinking out loud here. And then the introverts can take a deep breath and say, I don't know what that is, but I understand that you're doing it right now. There are also, there are also and there's a lot more to be said about that, but not this morning. There are also what they call thinkers and feelers. doesn't mean the thinkers don't feel. It doesn't mean the feelers don't think. But they just approach a situation analytically, if they're thinkers, first. And the feelers approach a situation relationally first. They can be brilliant. They just don't approach it analytically first. So the thinker is going to be thinking about what should happen Uh, if the statistics are true and if um, you do the most sensible thing. It's kind of a a linear process often. And the feelers are going to think, what is going to happen to the relationships all involved in this decision if we make this decision or that decision? For example, the thinker is going to say, I don't think we should let our daughter take the car tonight and drive her friends because it's raining. And the statistics say that the more teenagers you have in a car... Uh, the more likely an accident is. And the feeler will say, honey, we have to let her take the car, she promised. Her friends will think she's flaking out on them. Does that make sense? Just two different ways of approaching a situation. A feeler usually tells a story like this. And the thinker is always like, will you start at the beginning, please? The feeler makes a decision by trying it on many different times, many different days. They'll say, I really think I'm going to try to get a different job. And the thinker will go, great, you've been complaining, it's time to quit that job. And then the next Thursday, the feeler will go, I love my job, it's just so wonderful. And the thinker will be like, I thought you had decided to quit. Like, oh no, that was last Tuesday, I, you know, I was just trying it on. Um, we are not doing it to drive each other crazy. The thinker does not have cold ice water in their veins and the feeler is not flaky. This is just the way we are. We're wired this way. We need to be this way and the world needs all of us. Then there are just the facts people and then there are intuitive people and the just the facts people don't understand why the intuitive people don't read signs. You know, You'll, you'll be messing up somebody's kitchen and the, and the, and the just the facts person will go, there is a sign right over the sink that says do it this, this, this way. And the intuitive goes, well, like, oh, there is a sign. I never saw that before. Like you've been coming here for six years. But an intuitive person can walk into a room and feel that there's been a fight in there in the last five minutes. We're just different from each other. And then there are the people who like everything decided and the people who like to keep all their options open until the last possible second. Uh, so you take a beach trip with these people. The decided people go, let's make a list of who's going to make all the meals and then we can all make a grocery list and then we can get it all together and bring it to the beach and the keep it all open till the last second. People are like, aren't there grocery stores at the beach? It'll just work out. And the make a decision people are like, it'll work out because I will work it out. (laughs) Okay, so you have all of these people in your family, and they each think lovingly and with great affection that there's something kind of wrong with the other person. that if you would just be more like me, everything would be so much fine, finer, clearer. If you would just do what I say to do, the way I say to do it, everything would work so smoothly. That is never going to happen. And when we are together with uh, the more extended people, at Thanksgiving, it's like it is, only more so. And there are people who try our patience, and I have some suggestions. Um, Number one... Let go of trying to change anybody or anybody's mind. This is for you, liberals, and this is for you, conservatives. It's not going to work. So just joyfully love people as they are. If you want to engage, you can say, help me understand this view of yours. And then just let them talk. And if you want, you can ask them for their facts, but it's not going to make any difference. Or you can change the subject. My mother, when things got rough at the dinner table, would always go, does travel broaden you? (laughs) And we would know that we'd wandered into taboo territory. I knew I had one client who would go to visit her mother-in-law, and she she put a temporary tattoo on her body somewhere, and that tattoo signified... Uh, a rude expression that she would never say out loud in front of her mother-in-law. But when her mother-in-law would tell her that she'd put on some weight or that her hair didn't look good, she would just touch the tattoo. I <laughs> had another client who fell in love with the suggested phrase, thank you for sharing. And so... <laughs> When somebody would say, Obama really needs to run, 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 blah, 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 she would go, thank you for sharing. (laughs) And her mother said, Ann, I've just never known you to respond so pleasantly to my suggestions for your improvement. Listen to each other. Listen to yourself. Understand that this is a difficult situation. Understand that it is much easier to feel calm and respectful and delighted when you're sitting with close friends or by yourself reading a book. Having family around helps you be in a situation where you can become spiritually challenged and therefore deepened if you take the invitation because you're not getting things your way. And almost all of us, except for the kings and princes and pashas and queens, almost all of us don't get our own way a good bit of the time. And we can take that as an invitation. Here's another suggestion, the meta-meditation that we used to do every week here in this church. Um, If you take notes, you may want to write this down because it's really useful. You pray. And I was sitting in a a row with somebody, not at a church function, at a different function, last month, and I was so irritated by this person. Um, Not that that's really hard to do, irritate me, but... um, it was after dark and I get more irritable after dark. I don't know why. I can be real sweet while the sun's up. Um, And I had to start praying for her. Because she was being awful. So I was like, may you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. And after I said it five or six times, I could open my eyes again and be there with her. I used to pray this for um, one person in my family who's a lot more beautiful and brilliant than I am. And so it was hard to love her. And so I prayed and prayed for her that what the alcoholics call the resentment prayer, that you pray for them everything you want in your life for them. And then um, my feelings for her started shifting away from resentment into love, so I had to quit. (laughs) So all I'm saying is there are challenges in being a family, and there are ways to accept the invitation to deepen spiritually, and to ask, how can I be more loving to you? Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow, go in peace.